0: Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit VineyardCleveland.org. Hi friends, it's good to see you all. Um, Yeah, like Evan said, we're going to be continuing our series. We've um, I just wanted to take some time to focus, you know, in this season on what makes the vineyard the vineyard and what uh, what we're focusing on as we're trying to bring life to the city. So um, if you missed the messages on partnering with the Holy Spirit or on a lifestyle of worship, that those are um, like foundations that we're going to be building on today, but you can always check those out on our website or um, on our YouTube channel. So um, as we continue this series today, our focus is going to be on um, what, we're, what we're terming a, a reconciling community. We believe that Jesus wants us to be a reconciling community. So we're going to talk today about what that means and about uh, what Jesus is calling us to and why it's so important. Um, but before we do that, uh, we're going to be we're going to be in the book of Ephesians, chapter two. If you wanted to turn there, but I wanted to start off, the Apostle Paul, who wrote Ephesians, right before he gets to Ephesians two, he he leads into it with a prayer. So as we're starting to read in Ephesians two, I want us to come from it, um, come to it from like the place of this prayer that Paul prayed right before. He wrote it, and this was his prayer for the ephesians and I just want to pray it over you and over us as we get started so i 'm um, always telling the people in the life track class that I teach that um, you know some, sometimes I think we we think of like prayers that someone else has already written as as less important, but if you take the words of these prayers that are already given to us in the Bible, maybe when you don 't even know what to pray or when you feel like your heart doesn't know what it needs, you might find so much life in just praying out the prayers that God has led other people to pray, and the things that we we know are on His heart to give us. Because this is this is Scripture. You know, we know that God wants to give us these things that Paul is going to pray for. So, so let's pray before we start. But instead of the normal things that pastors pray over their sermons, let me just pray uh, Ephesians one. Um, starting in verse 17. So I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. We would have the eyes of our hearts enlightened that we may know what is the hope to which he has called us, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, And God put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So God, would you enlighten the eyes of our hearts? Would you give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you? Open our minds to hear what you have for us and to change where we need to change. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So with that focus on Jesus and his spirit of wisdom in us and his reign over the church as his body and the fullness of his plan for the world, let's pick up in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And this might seem like an abrupt transition to you. Paul was a master of things for effect because we have all that stuff, that positive stuff in our mind, like, okay, this this is encouraging, this is uplifting. And Ephesians 2 verse 1 says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, um, as, as we read that, you might have noticed that it doesn't really talk directly about community or being a reconciling community at all. But, I guess then the question is, is like, why, why would I be talking about those verses when we're talking about reconciling community? But I think it's really important for us to trace the whole line. You know, so Paul the Apostle, he was a master of logic and of argument. So if we just read a little bit, if it, it's easy to miss the, like, the whole arcing thing. So he, he moves from one thing to the next in a way that makes sense. Um, If you can find it, but he also uses really long sentences that just keep going and going and have all these clauses. You know, it's just how people talk who are really excited about something, right? And then this, and then this, and this, but also this because of this, and it can be easy to get lost. So we're going to try to trace the whole arc of what Paul is saying, and we're going to get to a thing about community and um, the ministry of reconciliation that God has given us. So, so, so Paul. is laying out his uh, his argument, and the the beginning of the argument is really important because he just talked about how that God is using his power to make us into a body um, that 's in the prayer that we read in in chapter one, but then he goes back because we need to lay some important groundwork and it begins right in that kind of jarring first verse where he says, And you were dead in your transgressions and sins, you know and that 's not you know, the uplifting message that we've been hearing, but it's important for the arc of the argument. So um, it's important because it, what he's doing it, before he even starts when he's talking about God's kingdom and the community of the church is he's leveling the playing field completely. Um, it's, you know, community, it just doesn't work well if some people are more important than others and um, I mean that hopefully that's intuitive to you like it, it's just if, if there's like classes of citizens in the community then that you know there's there might be community within the classes but the, the, the groups aren't going to mix and there's always going to be division and so what, what Paul is doing is putting us all on level ground right at the beginning of what, where he's going in this chapter um, and using the most black and white terms possible. I mean, you're dead, right? That's a, that's a figure of speech, but it's a very strong image. Um, dead people literally can't do anything, right? They're helpless and lifeless and all those things, right? You, under, you guys all understand what that means. Um, but he's, he's not saying that just about like some of us. He's like, no, you, all of you, um, in English, we don't have that Plural "you," like other languages do, but that's what it is, you know. In Greek, "you," all of you, were dead—just straight up dead—and and and so it's a kind of a case where you you need to know the bad news before the good news makes sense, right? So he's laying out here not only the gospel but the the blueprint for community and the, the foundation of it is that all of us we're equally dead. You know, it's not like um, maybe you, you've seen the Princess Bride, you know, he's only mostly dead, you know. <laughs> but, but that's not how it is with actual death, you know. If people are dead or they're not. Um, all of us were the same amount of dead. None of us were just mostly dead. We we're all the way dead in our transgressions and sins. And... Um, and so that puts us all on the same playing field. He says it's by grace that we've been saved, right? And grace is a word, that's a church word that can easily get lost. You can read it, and, but grace just means a free gift. That's all it means. So um, a gift is not something that you earn. It's just something that you receive. It's something that's given to you. We're saved by the, just by the grace of God. We all need, and we all need the gift, Equally as much. None of us are earning anything because remember we're dead. So that is where he says is and the, the point of that is that no one would be able to boast. And boasting is just what you do when you put yourself above where other people are. That's basically what boasting is. And he's saying that in the community that I'm laying out, there's simply no room for any of that. There's no room for you to place yourself above anyone else. Um, and there's also, uh, this is just a side note, but there's also no room for that false humility where you try to put yourself below everybody else. Like, oh, I'm nothing, I'm just a worm. But, you know, like, no, all of us are on the same level. We, yeah, you were dead, but now you're alive in Christ. That's where we're getting to, and so was I. No, no difference. So, um, so it's really important that we see that, that leveling of the playing field first. That's what those first verses are about. And he's saying you know he's just eliminating all the possibility that anything you did by your own works is what got God's attention about you. He's saying God already loved you as much as he could love you and in fact it's not about anything you did because in fact you're God's work. Do you see that in verse 10? Let's uh let me just go back to that because Ephesians 2:10 is one of my favorite verses. He's saying so In verse 8 and 9, this is so. This is none of this is your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And he says, For for we are his work. This is taking all the focus off of what we've done. He's saying that we're the work of God and that God created us in Christ for the works that he has planned for the world, which are prepared beforehand, and they're already in progress. Um, They're just like. Like, happening around, like, if you play video games, it's like on a map, and you just walk into part, and all suddenly a, a cutscene triggers, like, oh, you're found part of the story in the game. I don't know if any of you are video gamers, that might be an obscure analogy to you, but like, the work is already happening, so you, as soon as you just step across this line, oh, you're in one. And that's the, that's the picture that he's saying, like, God is sovereign over all of his creation, and he's the one that is working things toward his plan. So that puts us all on the same level. That's the situation in which we all find ourselves. We were dead, but we've been saved by the free gift of God. And so so why? Why is it that way? Why did God set it up that way? Um, Well, there's a variety of reasons for his glory and for you know, probably other reasons that we don't even understand yet, but one of them is because his goal is reconciliation. And that's what we're, that's what we're getting to in the next set of verses. So picking up Ephesians 2 in verse 11, he says, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh. So he's, this book is written to a group of Gentile Christians. Paul was a Jew who began to follow Jesus Um, But there was a big division there, as we'll see, and that needed reconciliation. So he says, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember, so we're going to leave the part about circumcision behind right now. There's a lot we could say about that. But (laughs) right now, the point is, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father." So you can see that he's saying that because we all find ourselves in the same position, we're all in this level playing field, uh, regardless of our situation, that that paves the way for us to be reconciled to God together. That we have something in common that goes deeper than all our differences of status, of race, of our, you know, the beliefs that we were raised in. And that's something deeper, is that we were dead, but God has offered us resurrection, life, in Jesus. And this new life that we have, this free gift that's given to us through Christ, paves the way for us to be reconciled. And... um it's easy for us to say those words. You know, reconciliation is a, is a value in our culture. You know, we might express it in some kind of broken ways sometimes, but people value that. But when Paul wrote this, that was not the case. There were no civil rights people that were campaigning for, like, equality between Jews and Gentiles. They were separate, and they wanted it to be that way. He was talking—what he was saying, nobody else was saying this thing except Jesus, who had been— you know, killed, and now Paul and the apostles. Um, it's it's hard to overstate how like revolutionary and out of the blue this sentiment was. Um, these were um, both racial and religious groups that hated each other and didn't really care if that ever <laughs> changed. Um, and now, and that's part of the reason why the gospel brought persecution throughout its whole thing because see, they were trying to change the, like, the core of like, how people related to each other. And, um, and so like, when Paul's saying this, it's a really bold statement. He says in Galatians chapter 3 that in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, but we're all one in Jesus Christ. And it's important to note that he's not like saying that everybody's the same or trying to abolish our differences, but he's saying that there's something more important than anything else we find our identity in. And this is challenging for some of us. Something more important than your gender, more important than your race, more important than your religion or the things that you were brought up in, like, there's a a commonality to all of us that goes deeper beyond that, and it's the the gift of Christ Jesus offered to everyone. Yeah. And when he said those those three things in Galatians, you know, he picked about the three maybe the three most incendiary like dividing lines that he could come up with at the time. People were enslaved, you know. That's been a big one in the history of America too. People were. Uh, you know, men and women were in no way close to equal at the time of Paul. Women couldn't own anything. They mostly weren't educated. You know, and like I said, Jews and Greeks had been hating each other forever. So when he's saying God is making all these groups one, that the people who are enslaved have every bit as much value as the people who have been enslaving them, that women and men are completely equal in the sight of Jesus in value and worth, and that there's something more important than everything you've been raised to take your identity in. He's, uh, he's, he's making a world-changing statement. And the church, unfortunately, has struggled and had a very uneven record at living out the goodness that, uh, that Paul is trying to get at here. We, you know, as soon as the church becomes a place or a position of power, it tends to lose sight of these things because it makes like new dividing lines, you know, than the ones that he was talking about. But what Paul is after is is the bringing together of two things that have been totally separate, and the way the only way that that happens is the gospel. It's the only thing that places us all on the same playing field. Um, you know, we can see that throughout these verses. You know. He's even talking to, you know, the people who thought they were the in crowd. You know, you know, you might not have wanted anything to do with this Jewish religion. He's like, but actually, you know, you were, you were strangers to the promise. So don't be coming in here like your way was better. And the people who had the promise, who had been given the ability to, like, receive God's favor by the law, they did a terrible job with it. So they don't, get, they don't have any room to talk about it either. All of us are on the same, like the people that had the standard of the law and all those promises, they turned their back on them and they didn't want them. And so he's saying like, some of you didn't even have the promises. You were without hope and without God. Some of you had this law of commandments and ordinances and it stood against you because you didn't follow it. <laughs> and so nobody's coming into this from a position that's ahead. All of us are needing grace in Jesus the same way. But those the, <laughs> the, the, just the greatness of it is that those who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. And remember how revolutionary that is to say. He's made Jews and Gentiles one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. All of us are the same. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit of Jesus to access the Father. So that's how the, that's how the gospel and us all being on the same playing field brings us to that place of reconciliation. But then... The question is, why does God care about reconciliation? Well, I mean, obviously when he made the world, there was no war and there were no divisions, but they sure popped up quick. Um, and his plan has been to remove them ever since. But listen to what his plan is. The reason that reconciliation is important is because it builds his kingdom. And that's what the rest of the chapter is about. So after he says in verse 18 that through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, finishes the argument in 19 through 22 here, he says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And again, this is why the Jews wanted to kill Paul just as bad as the Romans did, right? he says that the Gentiles are being built on the foundation of the the Hebrew prophets and stuff, all those things, and the patriarchs, all those things that they held so dear. Paul's saying, no, that Gentiles are being welcomed to build on that same foundation because Christ is the cornerstone. And that's also why Christ is the cornerstone that the builders had initially rejected. That... Um, the goal of that, uh, the, the image that Paul uses elsewhere is, you know, that that if you believe that, then you, if you believe and receive the gift of grace through Christ, that you become a child of Abraham, a child of the promise. And Abraham was the guy for the Jews, right? That was their pride. You know, we're sons of Abraham. That's what the Jews told Jesus. Like, we don't have, we don't need you and he's like, no, you, you really do. And he's saying that now everybody is able to be a child of Abraham because we'll be children of the promise. You know, Abraham's child, Isaac, through whom Jesus' line comes, he was not, a, uh, I mean, he was born by Abraham and his wife, but this was not a natural thing. He was every bit a miracle as much as the virgin birth was. This lady that had him was done. She was 90, post-menopause, nothing happening. Um and there <laughs> This is in the Bible. I'm sorry. 90 years old. And that's why Isaac was the child of the promise. He came by grace, the gift of God, not by anything that any person decided to do. And God is saying that's the kind of child of God that we can be. That we get born into this family supernaturally. Are you starting to see why there's no room for, like, divisions? All of us are equally impossible. Our salvation, each one of us, is equally impossible. No matter what you've done or how good or bad you think you were, your salvation takes just as much of the free gift of God's grace and just as much of the blood of Jesus to happen as anybody else's does. And because of that, because we all get to be built on that foundation, that allows us to be joined together and grow together into a temple for the Lord, a dwelling place that will be a light and show what God has in mind to the whole world. Reconciliation is important because if the church doesn't do it, if we're filled with divisions and infighting and, you know, angry Facebook comments and all the other things that the rest of the world does, then why would we be any different? You know, what's the, what's the message that people are going to want to see? But as we are joined together and reconciled, as we bring things that have been at odds together under the banner of grace and total need and dependence on Christ, <clears throat> we have a chance to show a unity that is literally not happening anywhere else in the world. You guys probably feel how divided our culture is, you know, but we're building a place where something is more important than those divisions. And what that looks like is that you'll probably be in here with somebody who believes things that are totally opposite of what you believe. Um, You know? Um, There's probably some of you here that believe exactly the opposite of what I believe, but hopefully you'd never know it from how I treat you. Um... And, uh, and so what that means for us as we close, what does it look like for us to build that community? Well, first of all, we have to keep the grace of God and the gospel in the forefront of our minds all the time. We can never forget how much we need God. Not just that we needed him before we were saved, but we still need him. Our salvation is a thing that continues to be worked out. You know, just as we accepted Christ, that's how we continue in him, Paul says in Colossians. You know, so we receive God through, gra- you know, through faith by grace, and that's how we continue as well, only by believing in God's grace. But what it looks like for us to walk that out, what does it mean for us to walk into those good works that God prepared beforehand? Well, one of them is being that temple. It looks like fighting for unity, it looks like laying down the things that we've taken identity in that aren't Jesus. And that's really hard because our culture tells us to take identity in things. It's like, find your own identity. Find it in your race, your sexuality. Find it in your politics. It's like our culture is telling us to find our identity in those places. And Jesus is saying, no, your identity is in being a redeemed follower of him, saved only by grace. That's the the foundation of our identity. And the foundation of that is that God loved us. The the reason that he did all that is for all—he loved all of us, and he loved us all the same. He didn't love me more than you. He didn't love the person that makes you uncomfortable, you know, any less than he loves you. And what that means for us, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So it's not enough for us to just sit here and like passively believe in it, but we've been given a ministry, like a work is what that word is. Um, we've been given the work of reconciliation, so we need to do it. And there's two parts of that, and the two parts are both helping people be reconciled to God. There's a lot of people that don't think God wants anything to do with them. One time me and a, a buddy of mine, we're, look at, we're just out looking for people to pray for, And we walked up to these two guys in a subway. Not like a train, but like a restaurant, subway. Um, I don't know why that's important. It's not for the story, but just so you know. And it was a subway in a Walmart. Um, (laughs) And we walked up to them, and we're like, "Uh, can we pray for you? And the guys, like, they looked at each other, and they're like, well, they didn't know what to say. He was like, yeah, but like we're gay. Do you still want to? And we were like, yes. (laughs) And it's just a shame that people like that think that God doesn't want anything to do with them. Um, You know, so we need to help people be reconciled to God. You know, and are these people going to need to change things about their life? The people that we are trying to be reconciled to God, yeah, they will. But that happens after. That happens after they know God loves them. And it's not our job to fix them up before we can bring them in. Like the doors of the church have to be open to everybody. You can come in. You can find out about how God loves you. We, you might be challenged to change in some ways, but like Jesus loves you and He wants you in here. Jesus wants that person in this building that makes you super uncomfortable or that you think might embarrass you if you bring them. I promise you'll never hear judgment from me if you bring somebody in here who's a sinner. Because I mean weren't weren't we all when we came in, right? How is anyone else supposed to get in? (laughs) So like, we have to be able to, to bring anyone and to let people know that the invitation is for them, no matter what they've done, whether we agree with them or not. If you only invite people to church that you agree with, you probably, you know, fully, you'll probably never invite anybody. I might, I, I might not have invited most of you, you know? Uh, you know, who knows? But, that, like, that is not what's important. Like, I'm happy that each one of you is here, though. But do you, do you guys hear the heart of that? that? That we have to help people be reconciled to God. And if we're not going to tell them that the offer is open to them, regardless of who they are or think they are, then um, then who is going to tell them? You know, who, what are we going to wait for? And the other part of that uh, message of reconciliation is that, you know, the the church has a chance to be a testimony. The original church it, it started in Antioch. It, was, it says in the Bible that was the first place that they started calling them Christians, and they just did that because there wasn't any other label they could think of to put on them, you know. And Jesus from the beginning was about these uh, unions of unlikely opposites, right? Just among his disciples, he had a tax collector, like a person that had sided with the occupying Romans. And a zealot who was like a a rebel-like fringe movement um, that was trying to overthrow the government. Just imagine the conversation those guys had. Like, why are you picking? They probably were so like, why? Why, Jesus? Why did you put these people in here? You know, Jesus had educated people and totally uneducated people. Um, I mean, he, he was always bringing, even from the very beginning, bringing together people that had Really, nothing else in common, but the bond that they had as redeemed children became deeper than all that, and they just had to call them Christians. The only thing these have these people have in common is Christ. And like I was saying, with Jews and Greeks, like this is the, the most entrenched like racial divide you can think of. You know, these people didn't want to be together, like Jews and Muslims, or you know, things like that. Like the, what he's saying, like. Uh, and what Jesus said has a chance to be an incredible testimony that if people will really come together, um, you know, and and unite across things that are, have been sources of identity, like that, can be a huge testimony of Jesus' reality to the world. And that's why our church. That's why we want to be filled with people who are of different generations, of different races. That's why we want to, you know, empower men and women to serve, you know. And just all the things that, that God has in that, places where people have been oppressed, people that have had animosity between them, it's part of our ministry of reconciliation to bring those things together, because that points and offers a picture of the reconciliation that all of us can have with God. And as we're built up into that holy temple. That's the kingdom of God being built, and we get to be part of that. So, the challenge, and the challenge for me, I'll just be honest with you, is to be as passionate about that when I'm out living my life as I am when I'm talking to you about it right now. It's getting me fired up when I'm talking to you about it. It's harder when you meet somebody in the store, and you're like, oh, I need to, what do I, I need to invite this person to to come or to do something or like you see someone struggling and be like, hey, here's my phone number, call me. If you need something, you know, and not to worry about judging that person or what they might be like, but just let them know that there's an invitation to know the God of everything. And to be changed by Him and loved by Him. And so that's what I want to encourage us to to move forward in, you know, as we grow in this, like we have to remember the common ground that we all start from. And we need to like be conscious of that as we walk through our lives because the invitation is ours to extend. The, the ministry of reconciliation is ours. And, and if, if, you know, we're, we're God's plan. We're, I, I heard someone say one time, it always stuck with me, like we're God's plan A for reaching the world and there's not a plan B. Like we're, we're it. This is how he wants to do it. And we have to be willing to uh, get a little uncomfortable about that. <clears throat> Let me just close um, by reading this again. And I just, I'll just pray this over us again. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit.